Cougar Sports Analytics Podcast. I'm Alan Cavana of Fox Sports, joined by David Smith of The Athletic. On this episode, free agency, what to expect, potential surprises, and the very real effect the coronavirus could have on one of the biggest free agent classes in the sports history. And to do it all, we have a special guest. We are will be joined by Jordan Bianchi of The Athletic. But first, as always, this is episode 55 of Positive Regression. This is the Tiny Lund edition. David, Tiny Lund, ironically nicknamed because he is described as 6'6", 285, which would make him larger than The Rock if you are a pro wrestling fan. This is a big dude we're talking about, David. And uh, he won a very memorable Daytona 500 for the Wood Brothers and then won four other Premier Series races in the number 55 a memorable name, and David, certainly some career high points. I think those measurements were straight from Humpy Wheeler's mouth, so take that with a grain of salt. But yes, Tiny Lun was a giant man. Uh, and Alan, he was uh, one of the the early winners in sprint cars and midgets on dirt in the Midwest. He was an Iowa kid uh, and considered a journeyman when he was breaking into NASCAR, just bouncing from different rides. But the legend, as it became known, you mentioned it, the Daytona 500 win, 1963. According to NASCAR historian Buzz McKim, Tiny Lunn arrived to Daytona that year with no ride and 17 cents in his pocket. He was just looking for something to do during speed weeks. Well, he happened to be at the track when Marvin Panch was testing uh, a hybrid Maserati car with a Ford engine and was attempting a, a speed record lap around Daytona. And Marvin Panch crashed the car. The car uh, turned over and caught on fire. And a few guys went to help. And one of them was was Tiny Lund. And the flames got really bad. Tiny grabbed Panch and dragged him out of the car to safety. Panch was uh, hospitalized and uh, couldn't compete in that year's Daytona 500, but he requested that the Wood Brothers use Tiny as his replacement in that race. So not only was he a hero, a lifesaver, but he found a good ride for himself. The Wood Brothers figured that he was a bit inexperienced and built a pit strategy that would have them making one less fuel stop than most other teams in that race, and it worked out. There were about three uh, cars on this plan, and the closing laps uh, Tiny Lund was close on fuel, and Fred Lorenzen and Ned Jarrett, no slouches themselves, uh, both had to tap out and pit for gas, and Tiny Lund was the last man standing, and he won the Daytona 500. And Alan, I know that you have an appreciation for interview skills, but the great Chris Economaki induced one of the greatest victory lane quotes. He asked Tiny Lun after the race, what was he going to do with $25,000 that he just won? And Tiny Lun said, I'm going to pay my bills. <laughs> and he, he, he went on to win four more races, all in a number 55 car for different owners, all at different racetracks. So he was not a one track wonder, but uh, certainly, he will be remembered for that Daytona 500 win that entire week in 1963 for good reason. It is one of the most incredible stories in NASCAR history. 
Yes, and he was tragically killed, unfortunately. His career and life cut short in the 70s at Talladega Super Speedway. Later on, David, he would be named one of the 50 greatest drivers in the sports history. When we look at the stats, you know, just five wins, but we hear the stories and the legend. Why do you think in 1998 he was amongst the top 50 drivers ever? I think, you know, when if, if we were going to just go at it from a stats perspective, he might not have been that guy because, again, he was a journeyman. He had unreliable equipment. But for me, the reason he was included was because of what he meant, what he did transcended sport for me. I mean, he was a hero. He was awarded the Carnegie Medal, uh, which was at the time the highest honor given to a citizen for um, efforts under dire circumstances. Um, and he earned it and, and he was an Iowa kid. That race was televised, uh, not flag to flag, but a lot of people saw it and took notice of what a great story this was. Number 55 episode edition of positive regression, the tiny Lund edition, uh, a big man with a big legend and a cool story. So make sure you go check it out. All right, let's get this episode started. As we told you, this is the free agency episode of Positive Regression. And to help us out with that, we are bringing in a special guest, the newsmaker himself from The Athletic, Jordan Bianchi. Jordan, thank you for joining Positive Regression. This is a pleasure. This is absolutely one of my favorite podcasts. And to actually be on it and to talk racing with you guys, this is this is a highlight. I'm not going to lie. Well, we are looking forward to it. And really, I mean, this topic that we can talk about at length was sparked by the work that you and David did on The Athletic about the free agency class that we are going to see heading into this offseason. I mean, really, they're working on it now. But as we look toward 2021, we could maybe expect a lot of drivers to be in different places. And the article that you guys had on The Athletic had rankings of the top free agents. And you guys want to start and go over some of those rankings? Because we've talked about it a little bit, but the number one on your list, you have 10 of them. It started with Kyle Larson. You want to go through the list a little bit? Yeah, sure. I, I certainly can. Uh, yeah, for me, Kyle Larson was the far and away number one. Uh, two through five was Brad Keselowski, Eric Jones, Alex Bowman, and Matt Benedetto. Six through 10 was Eric Almarola, Clint Boyer, Daniel Suarez, Ross Chastain, and Corey LaJoy. And I'm sure that there are some of our listeners that are familiar with our podcast and, and a little bit of my work questioning why why Eric Almarola over Clint Boyer or why Ross Chastain over Corey LaJoy. If, if you're a, an eagle-eyed viewer of motorsports analytics, you know that Boyer ranked ahead of Almarola and Pierre. LaJoy ranked ahead of Chastain and Pierre. But in any profession, not just racing, not just sports, no one is paid or valued based on what they deserve. That would be crazy. They are they are paid or valued based on the leverage they have to negotiate. And between Eric Almarola's Smithfield sponsorship and uh, Ross Chastain's um, uh, ties with his uh, family's watermelon farm, um, they have money. That money provides wiggle room. They have the ability to boost their own worth on the open market and make themselves more appealing to teams than drivers of similar or a little bit better performance. That is leverage, and leverage is the underlying theme to how these drivers were ranked. Now, Kyle Larson can attract a sponsor. Brad Keselowski can attract a sponsor, and both of those guys 
can go out and perform so well that they are bringing in more purse money. So teams understand this as a quantifiable measure of meritocracy. But as we know, free agency, especially in NASCAR, isn't based on merit. It's based on supply and demand. And there are, there are a number of good rides. There are a number of good drivers. And I think what makes this year's uh, free agency crop uh, so interesting is that we can realistically see drivers changing seats just because there is high supply and high demand. Yes, and talking about that supply, Jordan, uh, if a driver's going to go somewhere, that they're going to want to go to a, a good ride where they can likely get some wins or have a bright future and also, you know, a bright paycheck as well. But Jordan, when you're looking at what's available out there for these high class free agents, let's talk about the rides that are available. What are, what are your three top rides? If a driver's going to make a move, if there's going to be some shuffling, what are the top three rides available? Would you feel? Well, and I think this is, David brought this up, and I think this is a really good point, is this is what separates to me this free agency class from other free agency class. Yes, there's a lot of talent, top-level talent, and it's deep, but if you look at the teams that have rides potentially open, we know Hendrick, the 48 team with Jimmy Johnson retiring, is going to have an opening next year. Penske may have an opening next year if Brad Keselowski decides to move on. Stuart Haas Racing might have one opening. They might have two openings. Um, you look at those three teams, those are three of the top teams in this sport. They are winning races. They're contending for championships on a regular basis. Why would those organizations don't come open all the time? And they're all have a realistic chance of being open this off, you know, for this coming next off season into 2020. So to me, that, that is the big difference. And the three rides that I'm looking at as the top three, if I had to rank them, if Brad Keselowski moves on from Penske, to me, the number two Penske car is the number one on this list, followed by the number 48 at Hendrick Motorsports, followed by any opening at Stuart Haas Racing. David, a Penske car at number one. Do you think differently? Uh, is that is that forty eight car of any more value than a potential ride at Penske? Uh, yes, and but with with a caveat that I would not have said that before the season started. So, w- look, one of the questions that we had coming into the season was, could Hendrick Motorsports put themselves in a situation where they're their cars are are more ready made for a star because we knew that Jimmy Johnson was retiring. Alex Bowman is a free agent. He's likely to stay put. Um, but there was a situation where they may have had to address two openings. And for me, the 48 car uh, is that if we're living in a world right now where Chase Elliott has the fastest car, that is a Hendrick car. Then look, Speed is appealing to race car drivers. That has always been the case. And considering the brand equity built in that number 48, there is already a sponsor ready to go, an ally financial, uh, seemingly, if they can get the right driver, that could be a long-term extension. Um, to me, that seems to be the ride that can overtake a Team Penske car. Um, but my second and, and third, uh, second would be the Penske number two, if Brad Keselowski were to leave it, uh, and uh, third would be any ride at Stuart Haas. Now, I'm not going to consider the the cars uh, at Joe Gibbs Racing. If Eric Jones leaves the 20 car at JGR, or if they do not bring him back, that is a closed ride. It will belong to Christopher Bell. So I'm just taking that off the list. Uh, I'm also not going to include Alex Bowman's ride, but 
to me, I, I think the, the most attractive ride for any driver right now, based on the four races that we've seen, uh, is that number 48. All right. Well, we're going to go through some questions about some of these drivers. And really, unfortunately, though, the, the world events have changed this conversation. This is where I'm glad to have Jordan on because uh, you, you've been reporting a lot about this uh, coronavirus and COVID-19, uh, obviously having its effect on the world. But this is a racing podcast, so we're going to apply it to racing and, and the effect it's having on the sport right now, specifically free agency. Because you have to imagine the conversations were happening uh, behind closed doors with agents. The phone calls were being made uh, about where people may go in 2021. Jordan, let's start with you. How has COVID-19, how will it, how has it, do you think, affected free agency and what we could be looking at next year? Are those conversations still ongoing? Well, the conversations are ongoing, but this has a big impact, and you have to look down the road. Right now, we don't know when NASCAR is going to return to the track. I mean, tentatively, Martinsville Speedway is, is, you know, is the date, but as we know, that's not going to happen because Virginia, you know, has got the, the quarantine issue they put out yesterday or on Monday. So, you know, that's no longer going to be the race. So when is NASCAR going to come back? No one knows. This may be a month. This may be two months. So the longer this goes, let's be honest, these, t- the teams out there are going to be strapped. There is a lot of mid-size teams, a lot of small teams that are asking themselves right now, what are we going to do if this, this shutdown runs beyond 60 to 90 days? Are we going to be able to remain operational? And the longer this goes, the more impact it's going to have on the bigger teams. Those bigger teams have bigger payrolls. They've got more, they've got more people on the payroll and they're paying higher salaries to some people and they have to figure out what they're going to do. And you look at this, you look at the economic impact that this, this, this virus is having on this country and the economy. Uh, are sponsors still going to be able to have a marketing budget where that allows them to sponsor race teams? And if they do sponsor race teams, I can't imagine it's going to be able to, they're going to be spending the same amount of money that they were. So if the sponsors aren't spending the same amount of money, that means the team is not bringing in the same amount of money. They're going to have to kind of pare down a little bit. That means they're probably going to have to not pay as much in salary to some drivers. We have seen this market correction before. In 2017, there was a, you know, we, we wrote about it, we talked about it. There was a big shift in what drivers were getting paid. Um, a lot of the veterans that have been around for a while were not getting what they were once getting, and they were having to take pay cuts. And that affected some of the free agency moves. And some of the drivers then said, you know what, okay, I'm going to take a pay cut now, but in three years when my contract's up, I'm looking to recoup what I missed, and I'm looking for a big payday. Unfortunately, that big payday may not be there because I don't think when NASCAR returns, it's going to be in the same form it was. Teams are going to have to make some cuts. They're going to have to cut some corners, and they're going to have to save some money. And that one area they can do that is driver salary. David, Jordan just mentioned that this could be twofold. Teams may not have the money to pay a top driver, and drivers may not have the sponsorship backing that they once thought they had, right, to bring and present to a team. This seems like twofold the coronavirus could have on the sport and on this free agency. Yeah, and and, and maybe maybe my outlook is a little bit more rosy just because – I witnessed the sport take a pretty massive hit after the 2008 recession. Uh, you know, at that time, teams were still milking sponsors for dollars when those sponsors were looking to reduce cost. 
and what Jordan mentioned, uh, 2017 was the height of it, right? That was when we saw Matt Kenseth being told essentially, no, no, we don't, we don't want you at this number. Um, that was, that was sort of when it crescendoed, but Alan, it is possible because a lot of the same players that were around 12 years ago are still standing that there is more of a proactive effort in preparing for some kind of economic reaction. I think it's only smart to hedge your bets and making a big commitment of dollars over a number of years, especially if you're unsure five years from now what the sponsorship landscape will look like. I think that's a smart thing to do. So I don't, I don't see big dollars being rewarded to drivers. Kyle Larson is going to be compensated very well. Brad Keselowski will be compensated very well. They're probably not going to take what they thought they were initially going to get coming into this year. Um, that could happen, but also you can see a reduced, uh, number of years or, uh, different contract terminology, like maybe an option year. I think you're the, the rhetoric we're going to hear as a public will be so-and-so has signed a multi-year agreement and that could constitute one year with two option years or some kind of variation, but I'm going to guess that there's going to be a lot of flexibility built into these deals now just to anticipate something big happening in the wider economic market later on. And you wonder, talking with just insiders and people around the garage, I mean, this is extreme stuff, but depending on how much we race, does that mess up some of these current contracts? And what I'm getting at is if we race half a season, is a driver, is that count as a full season in a driver's contract or are they obligated to come back to their team? Could Jimmy Johnson say, I don't want this, you know, sort of retirement year. I want to go one more. Uh, are these, are these questions we should be considering guys? Yes. On both of those. I think the first, the answer to the first question is the way I understand in the conversations I've had, and these aren't in depth conversations. Let me preface that is that it's much like you see in other sports where, if the driver's contract is to expire at the end of 2020, that doesn't matter how many races there are. It expires at the end of 2020 because it has a set date. A driver's contract doesn't say, you know, you have to race this set number of races for this contract to be in effect. Um, it, it is a number of years, and it ends at this date. The second point about Jimmy Johnson I think is an interesting thing and something that's worth discussing. And Jimmy, and I wish I could tell you where the interview was. I think it was on NBC Sports, but don't hold me to that, is he was asked, you know, if this this goes on and you're missing a bunch of races, would you consider coming back? And he, I, you know, I remember, I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it was like, you know, I don't know. It isn't something I thought about, but it, that's certainly on the table. So, you know, who knows? If this thing goes long enough, is this the final season that Jimmy Johnson wants to have? I don't think it is. I think Jimmy wants to go out on a high note. He certainly wants to win again and show people that he, that he, he can still do this. So the longer this goes, the more I become convinced that maybe Jimmy Johnson will be coming back for one final full season. David, that, that would make one less ride, one, one, one very attractive ride, less available, wouldn't it? It would make it very convenient uh, for Hendrick Motorsports if they just completely whiffed on the, on the broader free agent market and said, yeah, Jimmy's coming, coming back. This was part of the plan all along. But – um, you know, something to, to think about in a lot of the, uh, contractual agreements for the drivers at the elite level, they're taking home a significant amount of purse money per race. That percentage may be 40%. It may be 45. 
I don't know if anyone's bringing in 50, but let we, we can we can throw that number in there. If there is a reduction of races, um, if the schedule is cut by by some chance, and I mean at this point where we said I don't think there's any option off the table that could happen, mm-hmm. um, how does that affect their their uh, their bank accounts? I mean, you're, you're going to have drivers looking for compensation that was owed and you know they they can always make the case that just going by average finish they could hit certain marks there's also um contingency marks that they hit if they finish a certain spot in points or gain a number of wins um there are bonus provisions and contracts that won't be hit because if they don't race they can't hit them so um that is curious there there may have to be um deals reworked um, it's, it's a mess in more ways than one. And, um, and that's not even impacting free agency. That's just impacting livelihoods. Um, just, we kind of have to see how that shakes out. Yeah. And look, we have to set that table and we're about to have this discussion about where these drivers might go. We have to be realistic about the, the world we're in right now. And, and when we go back racing, what, what it will look like, uh, in 2021. So, but let's start. I mean, look, that, that, these are the questions we're here to answer, right? Kyle Larson is your number one free agent. Uh, my experts over at the athletic, David and Jordan, uh, D- David, I'll start with you. Where does Kyle Larson end up in 2021? I, I picked him, uh, Hendrick Motorsports 48 car. And I think the, uh, the reasoning for me is obvious. I think you're just connecting dots. Kyle Larson grew up in California, a Jeff Gordon fan. Uh, when he was getting to the point where he wanted to shift from USAC to NASCAR, Jeff Gordon himself was a part of that initial pitch. Jeff wanted him, uh, Kyle Larson, to replace uh, him in the 24 car. Uh, that didn't happen. Uh, Larson and his camp chose Chip Ganassi Racing, his camp at the time. Um, it was a different agency than the one he is affiliated with now, but they had very close ties to Chip Ganassi Racing at that time. And that was pretty much always where he was going to go. Well, things are a little bit different now. Um, Chip Ganassi Racing has, since they've entered NASCAR, failed to have sustained success. And given what we know of Larson's production ability, his peripheral statistical goodness, um, he owes it to himself to listen to other suitors and take into consideration better rides that will accentuate his abilities. He is at a point in his career where he doesn't need to be just struggling to finish in the top five. He shouldn't be carrying a car. A top five finish should be automatic and he should be focused on getting wins. And right now, that Hendrick ride, any Hendrick ride, is one that I think he'd be foolish not to consider. And I think ultimately that's where he ends up. Although I know Jordan differs and I think we need to talk about that. Well, yeah, is that Jordan, we, we know the 48 ride is open. The whole world does, but it's not as obvious to you. That's where Kyle Larson goes. I agree with everything that David said for the most part. I mean, we know there are long ties between Kyle Larson and Hendrick Motorsports. He's been compared to Jeff Gordon. He was being recruited by Jeff Gordon to be at Hendrick Motorsports. Hendrick Motorsports has identified Kyle Larson as a driver it wants in its portfolio. Um, it is a driver that they believe is a championship caliber driver. He needs to be with that organization. They like him a lot. So if he ends up at Hendrick Motorsports, I would not be surprised. The reason I go with Stuart Haas Racing as his likely destination is the fact that as much as Hendrick loves Kyle Larson, Stuart Haas Racing loves Kyle Larson more. And 
Tony Stewart is a big fan of his. Tony Stewart a few years ago tried to bring Kyle Larson over and have him be his heir apparent when he was getting out of the 14. That didn't work out for contractual reasons. So there has been a flirtation there before. They like his talent. And I will say this. Kyle Larson wants to be in NASCAR. He is in NASCAR. But he also wants to do other stuff outside of NASCAR. He wants to race he wants to race sprint cars. He wants to race the Chili Bowl. He wants to be able to do all the extracurricular stuff that is important to him. He is a guy who cannot sit still. He has to be at the racetrack. We know that when a driver goes over to Hendrick Motorsports, there are certain restrictions placed on them. Now, Rick Hendrick has lifted that before for Casey Kane. It took a little prodding, but it worked. But if you go to Storehouse Racing, guess what you don't have to worry about if you're Kyle Larson? You don't have to worry about restrictions on if you can run a dirt race on a Wednesday night somewhere. Because guess what? You're the team, the guy who owns the team, he might be at that same dirt track with you racing. So there is that, that, that there. And I will say this. Storehouse Racing needs to figure out a long-term plan of what it wants to do for its organization. Kevin Harvick is there until 2023. He's just signed an extension. What happens when Harvick leaves? They need that franchise guy, that guy that you know is this is our main guy. He's going to be in the championship fight every single year. They don't have that right now. You can say what you want about Clint Boyer and Eric Omarolo and, and Cole Custer, and they are talented in their own right, and I think Cole has a chance to be very good. But I, none of those guys are going to win a championship right now. I don't think any of those guys are going to win a championship in the next few years. You bring over a Kyle Larson, all of a sudden you've got two legit title contenders at Stuart Haas Racing. So there is a little bit more of a pressure on Stuart Haas Racing to go get that guy. Because if they, they don't get Kyle Larson, and they're looking at who, who else is out there. Who else are they going to get to bring in as the next Kevin Harvick for that organization? And there is not really a guy out there right now. David, I know the dirt stuff is important, but I would also believe that you know winning in NASCAR is important. So if we're projecting in the next five years, who is better suited to have more success in the next five years, Stuart Haas Racing or Hendrick Motorsports? That that is a that's a tough tough projection. But well, just you have to think, I hope that factors in Kyle Larson's decision, right? I mean, and, and I, but but I think right in in Stuart Haas's campus is immaculate. We've uh, uh, given glowing praise to the brain trust over at Stuart Haas, but Hendrick has been building something. They've taken it on the chin in the last few years, but they also had driver salary reductions, and with the savings, they put it back into their infrastructure and they built up their engineering program to a point where now they're good enough to have really fast car setups on every type of racetrack and i think that's going to be given some serious consideration look if you if you go to the hendrick motorsports campus it is immaculate it is still there they shouldn't be this bad and they probably won't be this bad and as for the dirt stuff i gotta ask this because i i feel like rick hendrick is a reasonable enough man to relax any kind of limitation to get kyle larson into the fold, right? It was a few years ago where Dale Earnhardt Jr. went to Rick Hendrick, and, and Hendrick famously had a, a no facial hair policy. Dale Jr. said, hey, man, I want to grow a beard. Rick Hendrick said, okay, and that was the end of it. <laughs> like, that rule went away. I feel like I feel like if, if anyone's going to ask that question to change that longstanding rule, if it is as restrictive as we think it is, Kyle Larson's that guy, sure. right? Rick Hendrick isn't foolish enough to say, no, we'll have to settle for some other driver because Kyle Larson doesn't fit within these rules. But I don't know. I mean, he look, he's 
he's running his own program. But I have to think Larson is the number one on, guy on this list for a reason, and he's got to go after that number one guy. He is the guy you make an exception for, I think. I think that's fair to say, and I agree with you. I think Rick Hendrick is a guy who so obviously is a smart businessman, realizes like this guy's a tra- uh, you know a next generation talent. And we have an opportunity to get them. Do we do we lift this policy? And like, and it's not a, a line in the sand that they haven't crossed before because they did allow Casey Kane to do some stuff. So I think all things being equal, I think they've got a good chance to get them. I just think there's more incentive for short horse racing to go out and get them. Interesting conversation about the number one person on your free agent list. Let's move on to number two, because I won't say I have beef with it, but you talked about Kyle Larson being a next generation talent. What about a current generation talent in Brad Keselowski, a cup champion, a proven multiple time winner, and one of the best, you know, pound for pound drivers every single week. You would not be surprised if he goes out there and wins right now. I guess I'll start this question off is well, why is Brad Keselowski number two? Why, why isn't he the top free agent, most coveted guy on your list? Well, in terms of production rating over average age, Brad Keselowski actually ranks ahead of Kyle Larson right now. But Brad has also had the benefit of the peak part of his career. And at age 36, he is soon going to enter his prime. So if you have a team ready to win right now, and I think this benefits Team Penske. I think it could benefit Stuart Haas if they were inclined. Uh, Brad Keselowski is probably the driver that you want in your car. Now, that said, the, you do want to consider upside. If you're making this significant of an investment, would you rather get Kyle Larson in the fold now, in the portfolio, as Jordan Bianchi so aptly put it, or do you want Brad Keselowski for what will probably be a, a good four years? And at some point, you're, you're going to have to wonder about the decline. And right now, I'm sure this would come out in some sort of negotiation. Brad Keselowski has outside business interests. I don't know if NASCAR will have the same amount of pull it will when he's in his early 40s. So you're going to have those questions initially. I'm just, if you're, if you're a big team right now and there's a generational talent like a Kyle Larson, it's going to take somebody pretty significant, something pretty significant to overtake him for the P1 spot. But I have Brad P2. I mean, he's, he's still up there on the list. And so tell um, me, where, where's he go? Where does Brad Kislowski end up? Cause this one seems intriguing because of his long history, certainly at Penske, his immense talent. And also look, his other ties to that he's had with, with Hendrick before. And, uh, j- just, you know, the Brad Kislowski attitude where I think he said in an interview recently, you know, he's, he won't be making the calls, but if someone calls him, you have to listen, right? I think he said something to that effect. Yeah, you know, for, for me, I, I can, I can, I can see that you know, especially after Daytona, it was a disastrous first weekend with the Bush Clash, uh, and that week in the dual race, um, it, it could have been easily said that that, considering that, considering the change in crew chiefs, maybe he was shortchanged uh, being given Jeremy Bullens. After all that, I still think he returns to Team Penske because. Roger Penske values continuity. I know that because he mentioned it a few times in his Hall of Fame induction speech, Um, but it's true. He keeps those that have helped uh, make his organization better, he keeps them in the fold. And Brad Keselowski is the winningest driver in Penske history. 
And I, I don't see Team Penske just allowing him to walk out the door. And I also think that, that Brad could be the driver most impacted by COVID-19. I don't know that he's going to find as much money on the open market as a driver entering his peak uh, probably would deserve. Um, so if if that is the case, would he leave Penske in something that he's very familiar with and an organization that is really good right now for a new start with what the maybe the same pay that he could have gotten Penske, maybe a, a pay cut. Uh, I don't know. There's there are guaranteed sponsors swirling around Penske. There is no there's things that are known. There is a familiarity there, um, and I think that that um, that lure is too strong. So I think he stays. Jordan, a, a ride at Penske is <laughs> certainly uh, one a good one to have, even if you already have it. Uh, let, let's not no bones about it. Uh, anybody would be lucky to have a top ride at Team Penske. Where do you think Brad Keselowski ends up? It depends on the day of the week. And I know in the, in the story, in the piece we wrote in the Athletic, I, I had Brad going to uh, Hendrick Motorsports. But honestly, this is a toss up to me, and I can make a case for Hendrick, and I can make a case for Penske, and I think ultimately what's going to come down to is where Brad feels most wanted and valued. And also I think what David mentioned too, which is pay, uh, you know, salary. And Brad was one of those guys in 2017 that didn't get what he was looking for in his next contract. He has outside business interests. Those business interests, that takes a lot of money. I think if a team comes to him like a Hendrick and offers him a big payday and he can't get that at Penske, I could certainly see him going to Hendrick. I don't, I can't definitively say that one is it's a one A one B situation for me. I think ultimately it's going to come down to who offers the best contract and the most security and gives him the opportunity to win races and that second championship. Brad badly wants to win a second championship. He is very very upfront about what a second championship does to his legacy and how it elevates his career into a higher level. And if he feels like that is a better opportunity at Hendrick then I think that's where he's going to end up. If he feels like he can get that at Penske, he's going to stay at Penske. So I, I know that splitting hairs, that's not giving a, a black or white answer, but I just don't think there is a black or white answer when it comes to this situation. At the end of the day, look, sports is a business. We, we know this. Tom Brady just left the Patriots, so no one is uh, no one is safe from always staying at the same team. And what I'm getting at is Joey Logano's emergence, his talent, his leadership, his ability to be the guy, Ryan Blaney's emergence, his growing level of talent. Does that at all make Brad Kozlowski somewhat expendable if you're thinking budget-wise or you're thinking about the talent on the team and how much we have? David, you want to go first? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, that word expendable. If this was if this was literally any other team, I may be inclined to agree with you. But Roger Penske just views things differently. He is a shrewd businessman. Don't don't twist my words, but at the same time, he does place a value on people that did right by him and for him, right? Like Roy McCauley won him his first Daytona 500. Roy McCauley is still a Penske employee. He's not a crew chief anymore, but he's in the shop. He's there. If you do something well enough for Roger Penske, he will take care of you. And 
if we if we look back, if we think about what Penske was mm-hmm. before Brad Keselowski got there, mm-hmm. he kind of helped build the place. And and it, it that sounds crazy to say, just because we know Penske to be this iconic team in the wider world of auto racing, but it was Brad. It was signing Brad. Remember they. They shooed David Stremme out a year early. They paid David Stremme a million dollars to go away so they could bring in Brad Keselowski. And one of the first things Brad said was they need to hire, I I can't recall the number now, but it was like something absurd, like 200 more people in order to just compete with Hendrick Motorsports. And that, of course, ruffled the tree branches inside Penske. But you know what? They they did hire more people. They definitely beefed up the competition staff, and he was the instigator. He was the Pied Piper for that. And to let that guy walk out the door, and I'm not taking anything away from Joey Logano. He's he's proving to be a fine leader in his own right. But you want to let Brad Keselowski walk out the door? That is that's a tough one, especially given what Roger Penske thinks of those who have helped put his name, helped elevate his name in the world of racing. Yeah, Jordan, I mean, you want to weigh in on that? I agree. With, I echo what David said is that when Brad got to Penske Racing, well, which was then Penske Racing, now Team Penske, the, the organization was underachieving. They were winning consistently. They weren't making the playoff. They weren't contending for championships. Brad came in there with a fresh outlook and said, hey, I'm coming from an organization at Hendrick where this is how they did it and this is what you need to do. Not only do we need to hire people, we also need to have an Xfinity Series team, and we need to, to utilize that as a developmental ground for drivers and crew chiefs and pit crew guys, and it's going to take a lot of work. And his first year there, it was a struggle. Brad, uh, they, they had a terrible year. They finished 25th in points, and they were they were awful. And the organization wasn't great. But if you look at the numbers, since Brad got there and they, they started making these changes, Penske has elevated itself where they are consistently one of the top organizations, as David said. Roger Penske values loyalty. He look at his organization, not just on the racing side of things, but across his business. He is he has surrounded himself with people who have been with him for a long time because he values people who bring fresh ideas, who can help make Penske better, and that is Brad. And I think Brad, if he wants to, can have a home at Penske Racing even beyond just what happens in the race car as a, you know, if he wants to go on the business side of things. And I think ultimately that's going to be a factor in this, but I also know that Brad, again, it's going to come down to money. And I think that's going to be ultimately is going to be the decision maker. And Brad has said that. I mean, he, his comments of saying, Hey, if the phone rings, I'm going to let, you know, I'm going to answer it. That kind of tells you his, his, his thinking. And that may be the negotiating ploy, but I, I think it's fair to say that kind of tells you what he's thinking. All right. We've covered uh, Kyle Larson. We covered Brad Kozlowski. Next up, Eric Jones will be a free agent once again. How and when will JGR work Christopher Bell into the mix, knowing Eric Jones is also a free agent? David, I've I, I learned a lot from you, and you were the first one to, to rightly point out. I mean, look, Eric Jones, younger than Christopher Bell. Obviously, Eric Jones has much more cup experience than Christopher Bell. He's a proven winner, uh, top 10 guy. Uh, it just seems like Eric Jones has so much talent, yet every year now, it'll be the second year in a row, it's wondering, oh, is he going to be booted out of Joe Gibbs Racing? Uh, and I, it, to me, it's a conversation I just don't understand when you look at the numbers, but still it is there. Where do you think happens to Eric Jones, David? Yeah, I think now, and let's remember when Eric Jones re-signed last year, it was a one-year deal, as reported by Mr. Bianchi. And that one-year deal went both ways. Eric 
was pretty smart. Him and his agent knew which rides were going to be available. So if something occurred, they had some outs. There was going to be a nice landing spot. But you know what? Now I'm of the mind, if Eric Jones is not in a JGR car in 2021, it'll be of his own volition. JGR made the big trajectory changing mistake years ago when they let Joey Logano walk out the door. And I I don't think they're going to make that mistake twice. They're not going to repeat that. Toyota won't allow it. They have to keep both Eric Jones and Christopher Bell. And while it hasn't been a great start for Bell at LFR, he might have to just be there another year or two. Uh, I think it's most realistic that he is now waiting out Martin Truex. Alan, you and I talked about this on the first episode this season of Positive Regression. The numbers behind first-time crew chiefs are not good. Truex turns 40 this year, so if James Small doesn't turn out a handful of race victories, does Truex stay committed to the cause while his crew chief develops? I don't know the answer to that, but right now, from where I said, I think that is the most likely ride for Christopher Bell. I'm not sure when that happens. Uh, Bell, by the way, in his 95 car, ranks 23rd in central speed. That is down from 20th last year when Benedetto was in the car. We had questions about whether that team would take a step forward. So far, it is early but that's not a step forward. So Christopher Bell might also have some seasoning to do before this becomes a more serious conversation. Jordan, let's pretend I'm, uh, you know, Joe Gibbs or the owner over at JGR, and, I, and I'm being cutthroat. How much negotiation or how much leeway do I even give Eric Jones? Because if he does walk away, I could just plug Christopher Bell in there. I mean, is this a disadvantage for, in terms of negotiating for Eric Jones when it comes to JGR and or Toyota? I think if we're talking about the, 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 this current postponement of the season and the shutdown we, we're having right now, I think this impacts the Eric Jones uh, JGR situation more than anything else. Because if Eric Jones starts the season strong and comes out and is consistent and maybe gets a win or two and looks like, hey, this guy's ready to go that next level that we all think he can be at, all of a sudden he, you know, it makes JGR's decision a lot easier and it's pretty straightforward. Of, we need to resign this guy long term and we're going to get him in that, keep him in th- this team. But now we don't know when the racing is going to go back. So there is no temp- template for Eric Jones to say, Hey, I'm worthy of a long term contract with this organization because there might not be that opportunity because if the season doesn't resume until, I don't know, June or July, um, that's in the prime season of negotiating. Last year, they finalized the deal in August, and they were talking well before that, months before that. So I echoing what David said, Toyota loves Eric Jones. Joe Gibbs Racing loves Eric Jones. They all want to keep him there. The plan with Chris Rebell is to keep him at the 95 LFR team for at least two years. Um, that was the plan going in, and it wasn't to bring him over after one year and kind of have that the Eric Jones situation with Furniture Row, which which really kind of set off all these dominoes. They want to keep Bell over there, and like David said, this is a long-term play of Martrex Jr. His contract is believed to be up after next year. He signed a three-year deal with Joe Gibbs Racing. Denny Hamlin is 39 right now. Um, so if he is only going to be around for a couple more years and Denny has said that, you know, he's kind of gone back and forth of how long he wants to race for, 
Bell is there to be one of those guys' replacement. And then you've got a nucleus of Kyle Busch, Eric Jones, and, and Christopher Bell. Those are three pretty young drivers, three next-level talents. And JGR is going to be in a great spot. So I think ultimately Jones ends up staying at JGR. I think they work out a deal. I think they don't want to lose him. He he is. I'm very high on him. I look at him, and I think he is poised for a breakout year where he wins multiple races and becomes a factor. Um, yeah, there's some rough edges there on the racetrack, but that you can say that about a lot of young drivers, and that isn't concerning to me. I'd rather have a guy who is over aggressive, and I've got to rein him in a little bit, than have to go the other direction. So I think ultimately Jones stays where he's at. But I will say this: if for whatever reason. It doesn't work out, and, and Jones has to start exploring his options. There are teams out there, high-level teams, that are interested in Eric Jones and sure. believe in him and would love to get him in one of their cars. David, who would want an Eric Jones? When you look at the talent, when you if you pay attention to David Smith and your numbers and listen to this podcast, who wouldn't want Eric Jones on their team? Yeah, everybody. I mean, that that's – and again, that just speaks to the depth of this – free agent class. I mean, if we even get to that second crop, there's Ross Chastain is thought highly of. We've talked about Corey LaJoy and what he's able to do well on a racetrack, although he's just not able to show it. Eric Jones is two or three steps above them. Um, he is on the cusp of becoming an elite driver. He's been a top 12 producer every year since he's been in the Cup Series. That's tough to see when you're just considering the superficial results um, but they are there. Any team would love to have him. I, Joe Gibbs Racing is not going to make this mistake again. That was giving up Joey Logano for Matt Kenseth. There, there isn't an equivalent here. They, they want to keep Eric Jones. Why wouldn't they? All right. Well, let's talk about a driver. I want to ask you two about a driver no longer on the market. Uh, as far as we know, or at least not, not too much, Ryan Blaney. Didn't really test the waters that we know of, or again, couldn't have done too much testing of the waters because he has announced an extension. He has re-signed with Team Penske. He is not on the board as a free agent anymore, uh, and that kind of changed the game up. That was one domino to fall. Now that we've had a few weeks of hindsight, now that the sport and the state of it, how it is now in the world with coronavirus, what do you think of that move? Ryan Blaney off the board, not having to deal with any of this free agency stuff, Jordan. I think it's a great move for Penske. Ryan Blaney is a next-level talent. He has shown this year he was in contention in the first three races of the season. He has done, a, I think, a very good job uh, of getting better each season. He He's a great fit at Penske. Uh, they were smart to lock him up. When you've got three drivers over there with Logano, Keselowski, and Blaney, and two of them are free agents, you've got to make priorities. And Blaney was willing to commit to Penske. He's happy over there. Um, there was some consideration that maybe Hendrick Motorsports was going to, uh, you know, be interested in pursue Ryan Blaney as a replacement for Jimmy Johnson when Johnson retires. They had uh, Hendrick and Blaney. Uh, Hendrick was very interested in Blaney in 2017 before he signed his last extension. But this was a good fit, and Blaney's happy. He understands he's a priority at Penske. Um, he's having success. He doesn't want to change that. And Penske was more than happy to lock him up and get him off the table and, and, and not have to worry about it. And now they can turn their focus to what they're going to do with Brad Keselowski. So smart, advanced work by Penske to get this done and get it over with and get it done early. 
David, not that anyone could have predicted you know, the unfortunate state of the world right now, but let's we'll call it out. I mean, the ink is dry on the contract, and Ryan Blaney has already signed. Uh, you know, again, I don't want to say I don't want to say he benefited at all, but look, they got this deal done early, and it's a step ahead of where a lot of these free agents are now. Maybe just give him the MacArthur Genius Grant now because he's the smartest guy in the room, right? Like he yeah. he he found he found job security. In, in right, right prior to what's probably going to be a lengthy uh, work stoppage and uh, an ensuing recession, bravo to him. That was brilliant. But if you if you consider what he's also doing on the racetrack, uh, that Penske number twelve car, it is currently the fourth fastest. He has been in position to win all four races at some point in those races uh, so far this year. And I think as a race car driver, that is all you can ask for. As we discussed, Todd Gordon is the next logical step in his career. He needs clean air. He needs track position. He's getting that and he's performing very well with that. So he's been given everything that he could possibly want. He said in the press conference, uh, first press conference after that signing was announced that when he was a young driver, he always wanted to compete for Roger Penske. And as we've discussed before, happiness can take you a long way. If you are happy with the job you have, the role you have, that is tough for anybody, any recruiter. Uh, to come and snatch you away. So it sounds like uh, Penske was the, the front runner always, and Ryan Blaney landed exactly where he wanted to be. All right. Well, good for him. And let's just finish the conversation off just thinking about the unexpected, maybe. Is there anything else we should be thinking about? Because something crazy does seem to happen, whether it's Carl Edwards leaving or I think about, you know, a Cole Pern leaving, something at that level that, that could really shake things up, a new team, a different driver, unexpectedly a free agent. Jordan, is there anything else that you're thinking of or just wondering in the back of your head what, what could happen before 2021 comes around? Yeah, I think with everything going on and what we discussed with, with this work stoppage and how long this is going to go, and I think the impact on the mid-level teams is going to be significant, I would keep a look at what's going on there in two situations. One is JTG Doherty Racing. Uh, last year, Ryan Priest was a rookie in the, in the Cup Series. I think he, you know, he had an okay, an okay season, wasn't tremendous. Uh, but his name was kind of bandied about was he was going to return for a second year. He is back this season, but I think there's definitely an increased pressure on him to perform. Um, that team has shown that they're willing to go out there and, and pay to get a driver like Ricky Stenhouse Jr. And so if, if Priest doesn't perform, I'm, you know, it would be surprised to see a move made there. Another situation I would consider keep certainly keep an eye on is Richard Petty Motorsports. Uh, Richard Petty Motorsports, they love Bubba Wallace. They like what he brings to the table. They believe in him. They, they believe that he's a driver that they can build around. But that team doesn't have sponsorship. They have a lot of sponsorship gaps. So the longer this stoppage goes, the more I wonder is, what is that team going to be like? We heard the rumblings last year that this team was, you know, on the brink and were they going to be around and this and that. And there was just, there was a lot of speculation. Some of it was not fair, but I think some of it was fair about the viability of this organization. And the longer this goes and they don't have a sponsor and the bills are adding up, is it possible that they bring in a driver that brings a sponsor with them? I don't think that's a far fetched scenario. David, uh, I'll let you go. I just wonder, you know, the longer the the, the questions remain uh, about about funding and, and the state of sponsorship, 
it makes me think of drivers like Corey LaJoy and Ross Chastain, maybe lower salary drivers, maybe ending up in bigger rides because teams can afford to take a chance or are forced to take a chance, if you will, on, on drivers with not as much financial backing. Yeah, they certainly can be beneficiaries in all this. Um, but, but one thing that I, I think we should consider, I think Roush Fenway Racing will have to monitor Ryan Newman's performance once he gets back behind the wheel. Uh, and, and, and maybe that's coming off as crass. I don't mean it to be because in NASCAR history, I'm, I'm thinking Ricky Craven, Steve Park, um, these massive scary head injuries, they suffered those affected performance. And ultimately, if Newman's return is not good for him, and it's not a good situation for Roush Fenway, who sort of needs to be competitive in order to survive as a company. That is how their model works. This could become a landing spot for one of the, the drivers you just mentioned. They've, I mean, I, I think there's something to be said. They, they could have settled for uh, a driver in the Ford camp like a, I don't know, a David Reagan or maybe go back to the super sub Regan Smith. But they didn't. They they pushed for a driver competing for another manufacturer in Ross Chastain, and I I'm I might be the only one thinking this, but seems kind of like a I don't know a mini tryout while they can do it. Um, this could become a landing spot for for one of those uh, names on the bottom half of the ten we mentioned. So uh, stay stay tuned to to what they do, and as Jordan said, those teams in the uh, the middle pack of the middle part of the field. Yeah, good way to sum it all up. Stay tuned. Free agency for the 2021 uh, year is going to be uh, it's going to be good. Uh, how it all all the dominoes fall, and uh, I think we got a lot of stuff right on this one. So, uh, uh, Jordan, thank you, thank you for joining us on this episode. Uh, it's a it's a privilege to have you. You uh, have become a, a newsbreaker and a newsmaker in your own right. So it, it's great to read your work on the Athletic, especially during this hiatus. Uh, you're still cranking out a lot of stories over there, which we all appreciate. Well, what else are you working on? What should we expect from uh, Jordan and uh, The Athletic coming up? Uh, I've got a story. I talked to Clint Boyer about doing a series uh, talking to different cup drivers about their first career wins, uh, and Clint Boyer is the next one in that installment. Uh, very interesting uh, experience for Clint Boyer when he won his first race in 2007. There might have been some Jack Daniels involved in his celebrations. He kind of filled me in on that a little bit. And then, you know, speaking of the uh, the, the work, current work stoppage and the impact on teams, I think next week on The Athletic I'm going to have a big story on what some of the teams are, how these teams are handling the situation and what their long-term they're looking at to uh, try to, you know, bridge this this stoppage until, we you know, they come back because it, it is certainly challenging for them. Well, we, again, we appreciate you being on here. We look forward to that work, and we look forward to—I look forward to seeing you at, at the track again. I think we all look yes. forward to meeting up at the track. Thank but you uh, thank you for providing us this information, especially during this hiatus. So uh, we'll look to have you on here in a future episode. But uh, don't forget, here on Positive Regression, we're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, and Luminary. We are available no matter your device. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review, that kind of stuff. It really does help this little podcast here. It helps spread the word. Word of mouth helps too, but leave that rating or review. We do notice this stuff, and it is so appreciated. If you've got any questions, send them to us on Twitter at posregpod, P-O-S-R-E-G-P-O-D. Last week, we did a whole episode of uh, listener questions, so you know we like to answer them. David? Much appreciated. You're hard at work as well. Uh, what do you got coming up on The Athletic? 
Uh, just trying to stay employed, Alan. Uh, I am two pieces into my one hit wonders series profiling drivers who only won one cup series race in their careers, uh, how those wins happened and why they made sense within the context of those race weekends. The two I've done so far uh, focus on Lake Speed, who won at Darlington mm-hmm. in 1988, and Paul Menard, who won at Indianapolis in 2011. There will be more to come, but I'm also starting a new series this week, the first of which will be posted on The Athletic this Friday. Alan, I've always been fascinated by good drivers who transform into great drivers, and I'm homing in on the exact season when it happened, The series is called The Leap Year, and the first driver profiled will be Dale Jarrett, one of the greatest statistical anomalies in sports history, looking at his 1996 season. I interviewed him earlier this week, and that was a bucket list interview for me. Great to talk to. Uh, We'll also talk to uh, crew chief Todd Parrott, his crew chief at the time, and I think our listeners on Positive Regression will enjoy learning from them about how uh, his change, Dale Jarrett's change in career trajectory occurred at the reliable old age of 39. Boom. I love it. I can't wait to read that. There's no one better than David at evaluating talent and really looking into uh, something like this. So the leap year, I look forward to that series. Uh, I am uh, trying to keep busy as well. I hope everyone out there has noticed Race Hub is back on FS1. We're doing it from our homes. Uh, it is a hell of a production and effort to for everybody. I mean, so many people go into making a good television product and everyone is doing it from their own homes and having to piece it all together and work together from their homes. So uh, we are trying to just give you something to pass the time and talk a little racing on Race Hub. Monday through Thursday, 6 p.m. still on FS1. But after a few weeks off, it's good to have Race Hub back. And of course, iRacing. It's going to be on on every Sunday on the Fox family for as long as it needs to be. And it's been entertaining so far. Uh, I think Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon, Clint Boyer, Larry Mack, they're doing a great job uh, keeping it just as serious as it needs to be and having a lot of fun with it. And it's been, uh, it's been a good product, a good, good racing at the end. So make sure you watch the Fox family this weekend and every weekend until we are back on the track. Once again, thank you to Jordan Bianchi for joining us. For David Smith, I'm Alan Kavana. Thank you for listening to Positive Regression. We're all just race fans. I'm glad we could pass the time together. This has been episode 55. Stay positive, everybody. Geico asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, Geico can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance and more, and Geico is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. Simply go to geico.com or contact your local agent today.